Well, hello, friend, and welcome back to the podcast. As always, this is your host, Brayden, and today we are doing a little bit of a rewind. I'm going to take you back um, to a previous episode we did, which was called the most commonly overlooked tax deductions, or at least some of the most commonly overlooked ones. Now, I've been sitting down the past few days and really trying to brainstorm new topics. And to be honest with you all, I feel like I'm in a little bit of a creative rut. We got a lot going on over here. And there's only so many different things we can talk about when it comes to tax season. So we are rolling into tax season now. You all need help with your taxes. But sometimes it's kind of like, why reinvent the wheel? We've already talked about these things. We had a great episode before. So let's just replay it for you because most likely you either haven't heard it yet or you heard it two years ago and it's time for a refresh anyway. So that's what we're gonna do. But before we dive into the replay, I wanna remind you all that our tax season workshops begin next week. These are specifically um, designed to help you get everything organized to file your taxes. So if you have not finished your 2023 bookkeeping yet, if you never even started it, if you need to get everything summarized, this is going to be the thing for you. We're also going to help tell you what documents you need to organize, how you can get everything situated so that you are ready to either self-file your tax return or hire someone else to file it for you. So we're charging $50 for the workshop series. We're doing that so it can be um, a more of an intimate group. We're gonna have fewer people signed up, probably about 20 folks. I'm just estimating. Um, and also so that you feel invested and you get the work done and we can really make it a high level experience. So check that out. Um, we'll put the link in the show notes. We'll also email everyone about it as well. Um, and if you have any questions, just slide into my DMs at notavglaw on Instagram. We can get you the link there as well to sign up. So without any further ado, let's dive in to the episode. So what we're going to be talking about today, some of the most overlooked tax deductions. Now, the first one I want to mention is commissions and fees. So commissions and fees is the title of the category on the Schedule C. The Schedule C is the tax document we fill out if we're a single member LLC or a sole proprietorship. But this applies to other business structures as well. And specifically, when I mention commissions and fees, there are all different types. But I want to talk primarily about processing or transaction fees. All right. So most of us have that pesky 2.9% fee. A lot of people try to use Venmo and other mechanisms to get around that. Do not recommend for a number of reasons. That's for another podcast episode. But if you are a legitimate business with a legitimate payment processor, you are probably paying processing fees. Okay. And the way that works, let's say I charge you $1,000 for a program. Okay. I charge you $1,000. There's going to be a 3% fee, I'm rounding up, a 3% fee that comes off the top, and $970 enters my bank account. So what a lot of people want to do, and I was guilty of this in the past, I even think I recommended this on previous podcast episodes, and it's okay, it's like not technically correct, um, so we don't want to be doing it. Now I've learned my lesson, I'm sharing that with you. What people, what a lot of people will do is they'll just report $970 of income on their tax return. And that's not technically correct because technically we got $1,000 in income and we had a $30 deduction. We had a $30 expense for that processing fee. And that's how we should be reporting it, okay? So I used to just look at the money that entered my bank account to do my tax return. And at the end of the day, if you've done that in the past, again, not a huge deal because you've technically done it incorrect, but the tax outcome is gonna be the same. 
all right? Because what we're supposed to do, again, $1,000 in income, $30 deduction, that gives us our $970 in taxable income that's going to end up on the tax return. Same consequence, but not technically correct from an accounting perspective or a tax perspective. So what I encourage you to do now is to look at your payment processor. So if you take payments through Stripe or through a different payment processor, you use that to determine your income. Likely they're going to send you a 1099K, more on that a few episodes back, to, for you to figure out your income. And then also, you're probably in, in your login, you can see the amount of processing fees that they charged you. So you should also have that in your bookkeeping if you've done your bookkeeping properly. But if your bookkeeping is a little bit more of a wonky mess, you can find it straight through your payment processor as well to get that commonly missed deduction. And that's huge. Especially if you're reporting the full income amount and not the deduction amount, that's 3% more of your total income that you're reporting that you're not taking the deductions on. So that's a big one. The next category I want to talk about is education. Now, technically, I'm going to read you, let me see if I can find it, read you the section on education in our tax deduction guide. So I write education like college courses are deductible if, big if, you can show the education maintains or improves skills required uh, for your existing business, or that are required by law or regulation to maintain your professional status. Undergraduate and graduate degrees typically aren't deductible. Instead, this is more for things like required continuing education. So I'm recording this episode in January, and I have my continuing education for my... Um, my law license, Jesus, I almost lost that word. My law license is due every three years and I have to do 25 hours every three years, which doesn't sound like a lot, but of course I wait until the last month and then I have to do like an hour a day for 25 days to get mine completed. That cost me, I think I paid about three or $400 for my continuing legal education like program. I'm watching these all online. That would be uh, inexpense in this category for sure. Now, what I used to put here in addition would be payments for online courses I was taking. And that's probably fine. Um, memberships I would put here as well. But now I've created my own category in my bookkeeping for that kind of stuff. Um, but a big thing that I think a lot of people miss out on is whenever I buy a business related book, I consider that an education expense. Like I'm learning, right, if I'm going to buy... Um, like if I'm going to buy, I'm trying to come up with a good, good example, Traction. So I teach, like to teach some of the concepts from Traction, which teaches the entrepreneurial operating system. That's business development. I'm buying that for business. I'm going to take a deduction, especially if you're going to, you know, in-person conferences, you're traveling to them. Those are all deductions. All this type of stuff you're doing for business development and education, you should be deducting. All right, the next one is car and truck expenses. And this is, everyone knows that we can take deductions for car and truck expenses. So I wouldn't say that this is like a missed or forgotten expense, more of just people don't know how they need to be tracking it. So they do it wrong or just like don't do it at all because it seems like too much work. So we're going to explore how this works. I'm again going to read from the tax deduction guide for you. And the section's a little bit longer, but we'll get through it together. So under the tax law, you may take a deduction for business uses of your vehicle. You have a choice of taking either actual expenses or a standard mileage rate. If you use the standard mileage rate, this is the most common option, you simply multiply your business miles driven by the applicable rate. This is a more common option since it is simpler. One requirement to use the standard mileage rate is that you used the standard rate in the first year you used the vehicle in business. 
Thus, if you begin with the expenses method, you will definitely want to track your expenses thereafter. Standard rate method. If you choose the standard rate option, you need not track your car and truck expenses. However, you may take parking and toll fees in addition to the standard rate. Thus, if you are going to choose the standard rate, track all parking and toll costs, and then track your miles elsewhere using a manual log or a phone app like MileIQ. Uh, also, if you use a program like Xero or QuickBooks, they typically have mileage tracking. Uh, you can download their apps and do it that way. The actual expense method. This method allows you to deduct a portion of your actual expenses. You should track gas, car payments, car insurance, license plates, etc. An important side note, commuting miles are not tax deductible. These are the miles driven between your home and your regular place of work, if you have an outside office. Only the miles driven from that location to your meetings and such are deductible. You can see now why the mileage deduction can get a bit murky. Travel to meet a client from home or your office would be deductible. How it's calculated. You don't really need to know this part. Your tax software is going to do the math. This explanation may just help you decide which method to choose. Assume you travel 3,000 miles for work this year. The 2020, you can tell I wrote this a while ago, the 2020 standard mileage rate is 57.5 cents. The deduction using the standard would be $3,000, or sorry, 3,000 miles times 57.5 cents, which would be $1,725. That's the deduction. Now, assume your total expenses were $100 per month for gas, a $300 per month car payment, and miscellaneous expenses totaling $1,000 for a grand total of $5,800. For the expenses method, you need this total, and also you need to know the total number of miles driven on your car during the year. Let's say your total miles driven is 12,000. Your 3,000 business miles amounts to 25% of the total miles driven, so 25% of your expenses are deductible. 25% of $5,800 is $1,450. In this example, you can see the standard option is better. The actual expenses method would get you a bigger deduction if your percentage of business miles compared to non-business miles were higher or if you had more expenses. Thus, the more expensive your car, the more likely the expense method is the way to go. Both methods require you to log your business miles. If you use the spreadsheet method for bookkeeping, you can track them manually or download an app, like I mentioned before. If you prefer the old school approach, keep a notepad in your car. Each time you drive for work, include the purpose, as well as your odometer reading before you begin driving and once you arrive. I also like to include the difference between those readings, which represents the deductible miles, as well as the running total. In addition to mileage, you can deduct interest on a car loan, parking fees, and tolls for business travel, and personal property tax on the car. So that was our car and truck uh, deduction. All right, so lots of confusion there. I hope that that long explanation you found useful. We are now going to turn to home office. So as you likely know, you may deduct expenses for use of a home office, but the rules are quite strict. You may only take the deduction if you are in business. So one, you gotta be in business to take a home office deduction. Two, you use the home exclusively for business, use the home office, I should say, exclusively for business, unless you store inventory or run a daycare. 
It's like a specialty rule. And you use your home office for business on a regular basis. So this rule has changed a little bit in recent years, and we're going to expand on this in a second. So exclusively for business is the kicker for most people. It shouldn't be, you shouldn't have like a home office that also doubles as a home gym or a guest room. Those are technical no-nos. So you have to meet all three of those requirements I just mentioned, plus one of the following. So this is fun, plus one of the following. So I'm going to read you a list of these plus rules, and you got to meet at least one of them. So your office is your principal place of business. This is what would work if you only have a home office. So that's what's going to apply for most of us if we work at home every day. So that's option one. The next one, you regularly and exclusively use your home office for administrative activities and have no other fixed location where you perform activities. So this would be something like this would apply to my dad. So my dad has a construction business. He has a home office that he uses exclusively for like billing and invoicing. But that's a pretty small percentage of his work time. Most of his work time is spent at other people's houses, like doing their roofing, additions, all that kind of stuff. But he's got a home office back at his house to do those admin tasks. The next option is you meet clients and customers at home. So that one's pretty straightforward. Uh, the next one, you use a separate structure on your property exclusively for business purposes. So this one would apply to me because technically my office is in a garage, converted garage. Although um, being that I have a legal background, my mind immediately goes to what is a separate structure? Because technically... My garage, converted garage office, shares a wall with the kitchen, but you have to walk outside the home into a different door to get into the office. Does that constitute a separate structure? I would think so. But, you know, fun nuances that could potentially be argued somewhere in, in the law. Um, the other ones, the final ones, you store inventory or product samples in the space, or you run a daycare center at home. Probably not applying to most of us here, so we won't, we won't spend too much time on these. I call these uh, set of requirements the additional requirements. So we have those three that we have to meet and then one of the additional requirements, all right? So you only got to check off one. Most of us will easily meet one of the first two that I mentioned. So let's run through a common example. I used to have an office at WeWork. If you haven't heard of it, it's like a really big popular co-working space. We also had a spare bedroom in our condo set up as a home office, Note, um, I said it was set up as a home office. It wasn't really my office. If I were working from home, I was usually working on the sofa, okay? So let's run through the requirements with this hypothetical. Was I in business? That's requirement number one. Yes. Did I use the home office exclusively for business? It would be easy to claim that. Um, there was only really a desk in there, so I didn't have to worry about it being like a dual-purpose space. But between you and I, uh, we did put a blow-up mattress in there for my niece and nephew when they were visiting. So that technically would be a no-no. Let's, let's, let's ignore that fact and look at the regular business use requirement. I did not use it regularly, but let's say I worked Fridays there and occasional weekends, that would be regular. Now we would need to check off one additional requirement from that list I mentioned. The office wasn't my principal place of business. That was our first option. So that's a no. Option two would also be out since I did admin work at my WeWork office. So this is comparing and contrasting this example to the scenario I gave of my dad's type of work. I could try and claim that I did all my admin work at home, like saying, you know, I only go into WeWork um, to do like substantive work and to like meet with clients and I do all my administrative work and billing at home. But that'd probably be a stretch since I'm paying $900 for like an office that I just go into for paperwork, right? 
If on the other hand, I paid the WeWork minimum of $250 a month to have no dedicated office space and I only use their common area, I might be able to swing it. In that case, like I would probably argue that I went to WeWork just to get my mail there and to use their conference rooms when I had client meetings and then I did all my other work at home. In that scenario, I might be able to get away with deducting both of those, okay? So mixed use space, it's pretty common to have a home office and a guest room on slash guest room, like use both of those spaces for one. On the surface, this is an issue with the second requirement, the exclusive bit, which I've talked a little bit about. However, you can actually still take a deduction for the area of the space that is exclusively used for business. That could apply to half a room where you have your desk and maybe a guest bed, or if you live in a studio apartment, something like that. Uh, or have a desk in the living room, you can kind of section off that area. So it might not be its own room, but you can say that corner over there is where I do all of my work. So that's my home office. Like it doesn't need to be surrounded by walls. What can you deduct with the home office? And this is where um, we're talking about the most overlooked deductions. This is where it kind of comes into play is really maximizing your home office deduction. It's actually, the home office deduction is actually a bundle of deductions. So it's not just one, it's a bundle. You can deduct direct and indirect expenses. A direct expense would be something you buy just for your home office, like a desk chair. Note that's technically a long-term asset subject to depreciation, um, but we would use the de minimis exception. We're not talking about depreciation today, so don't worry about that. Most of the expenses will be indirect expenses, which include rent, utilities, insurance, home maintenance, like house cleaning. Believe it or not, you can actually take a partial deduction for house cleaning. HOA fees and security costs. You can't, this is a big, a big, a big kind of highlight here. You cannot deduct your mortgage if you own a home, but you can deduct, uh, take a depreciation deduction. When prepping for tax season, simply brainstorm any and all home expenditures, put them all on a spreadsheet or a Google Doc and have them at the ready for your tax software or an accountant. How the deduction is calculated. Like the car and truck expenses, there are two methods here. The first is the simplified method. This gives you a $5 deduction for every square foot of your home office, up to a 300 square foot cap, $1,500. This method may be better for homeowners since you don't have rent to include, but you got to do the math. If you're paying rent, you'll definitely want to use the pro rata method. The pro rata method allows you to take a pro rata share of your expenses based on the square footage of your home office in comparison to the square footage of your home. Come tax time, you will need to know rent paid, utilities paid, the square footage of your entire home, as well as the square footage of your home office. For example, assume your home office is a small 10 by 10 room, which is 100 square feet. Your home is 1000 square feet, so your home office is 10% of the square footage. If your total applicable home expenses is $15,000 for the year, your deduction would be 10% of that or $1,500. So that was our home office deduction, a lot of information there. So we've covered processing fees, education, car and truck expenses, home office, and now we're gonna talk about travel, which is the next, the next kind of a big question mark area. So deductible business travel, is overnight travel away from your quote unquote tax home. Your tax home is the city or general area of your principal place of business. If you live in a rural area, your general area is about a 40 mile radius from your principal place of business. So if you live out in the middle of nowhere, 
like your principal place of business is probably your home office, you would figure a 40 mile radius. And so travel expenses would be those outside of that radius. The trip to be deductible must be for business. This may include attending seminars, conventions, or conferences, or traveling for business training slash education or to meet with potential clients or customers. You can deduct transportation expenses and the expenses you incur at the destination. Your transportation includes flights, trains, buses, and rental cars, as well as 50% of meals and 100% of lodging incurred while traveling. And that's the portion I think a lot of people miss is the meals while you're traveling. You can deduct all those, 50% of the cost of all of those, plus your lodging. While at the destination, you can deduct 50% of meals, local transportation within the area, internet fees, and the like. Okay, so how much can you deduct? The amount of your deduction depends on where you're traveling. If you're traveling within the U.S., you may deduct 100% of travel costs if more than 50% of the trip is for business use. So, for example, if you're going to a business conference for four days, don't stay and party for more than three additional days. Also, your meals during the party days aren't deductible. Sorry. The rules for travel outside the U.S. are a bit more lax. If the trip is seven or fewer days, you can deduct 100% of travel costs so long as you spend part of the time on business. You can only deduct the non-travel costs for the days you're doing business. For trips longer than seven days... You may take the full travel deduction if more than 75% of the time is spent on business. If less than 75%, but more than 50% of the trip is for business, you may deduct a pro rata share of travel costs. Don't shoot the messenger. I don't make the rules. So I know those last few paragraphs were like, whoa, that's a lot. I've created like a pretty handy flowchart with yes and no questions. If yes, go here. If no, go here. And I'm going to keep that for the tax deduction guide because frankly... It's hard to like read a flowchart in podcast form anyway. But if you join the Tax Season Playbook, this is a fun segue. If you join the Tax Season Playbook, you will get access to the flowchart. You can read it. You can download it. You can print it. You can uh, put it in a frame and stick it on your home office wall. A fun accessory to go in the deductible portion of your house. Lots of fun things. I hope this episode was helpful, kind of give you a highlight of those big deduction categories. Um, Like I mentioned before, if you have any questions about the Profitable Pro Bundle, please shoot me a DM or go to www.bradendrake.com forward slash playbook. I hope that many of you join so that I can get to work with you next week. We're going to do live Q&As on Zoom. It's going to be super, super fun. It'll be a good time. And I hope to see you there. So that's all for today's episode. Hope you enjoyed. And I will be back in your podcast app next week. Have a good one. Hey there, before you go, I wanted to give a quick thanks. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. If you loved it, I would love for you to take a screenshot of the episode or snap a quick selfie while you are listening. Share it on social and give me a tag. It'll help other kick-ass entrepreneurs like yourself find the show. That's it for today. I'll be back soon with a new episode. Meanwhile, let's roll up our sleeves and unfuck that biz.